0: If you would please open once again to Psalm 119, um, as we have already shared and discussed this morning, we have the great privilege to continue on uh, in our Back to Basics series looking at this morning now, Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Um, last week, Pastor Stephen began this four week study, this four week break from our current Series through the book of 1 Corinthians by looking at Sola Christus, Christ alone. Why do we look to Christ alone to be our Savior, to be our Lord, to be the one that we need? And now this morning we will consider Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. The way we're going to tackle this topic, and you already know this, but this morning we're going to meet a giant. We're going to meet a giant, the giant that is Psalm 119. Now, this is the best of giants. This is not like the bad giants, the ones that David fought and killed in 1 Samuel 17. No, these, this giant is going to help us greatly in our understanding of God and of His Word. This giant, Psalm 119, is going to help us answer questions like, why a phrase like sola scriptura was the battle cry of, of the Reformation? Why do we look to God's Word, to, to the Bible, as our exclusive foundation? Is sola scriptura, is this even a biblical idea? Does does the Bible talk about itself in this way as being sufficient and authoritative for us and for, for our lives? So who is this giant? It is none other than Psalm 119. This is, as we've already said, the longest chapter in the Bible containing 176 verses. In fact, this one. chapter is longer than many individual books in the Bible. Psalm 119 is God's word explaining God's word. You could think of it as God's inspired commentary on God's inspired words. How should we think about God's Word. How should we respond to the Word of God? What is this thing that God has given to us? Well, Psalm 119 is going to help us greatly. And let me just say at the outset, I am not a Hebrew scholar. I am... Much indebted to the work of godly men like Mark Dever, John MacArthur, Nathan Busnitz, and so many others who have done excellent work in helping to unfold the riches of Psalm 119 in this topic in general of Sola Scriptura. But here's what we do want to say and note from the beginning. And if you get nothing else, I pray that you get this. Please note it on your outline. Psalm 119 is a careful, thoughtful, joyful, prayer celebration of god's word it is it is all of these things it is careful and thoughtful in that it is written using and you may have Notice this, you may have seen this in your Bible, why every eight verses there's this awkward Hebrew word that just pops up there. But this psalm is written in a strict acrostic pattern. In the, in the Hebrew alphabet, there's 22 letters. Well, Psalm 119 contains 22 stanzas or 22 sections, one section for every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And in each of these 22 stanzas or sections, there is eight verses or eight lines. And in the first section, in the first stanza, each of the eight lines or the eight verses begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And then in the second section, every line begins with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet and so on and so forth through all 22 sections. And so here's what you have then when all is said and done. You have this this long, admittedly, it's long, but you have this majestic comprehensive from a to z prayer just praising god for who he is exalting him and this word that he has given to us that he has entrusted to us and throughout this psalm as you probably already noticed the word of god is called and it is described by many different words, by many different titles or, or descriptors. See, the psalmist who wrote this psalm, and by the way, we don't know who wrote this psalm. Some people think perhaps it was King David and perhaps it was. Others think that, no, perhaps it was the prophet Jeremiah who wrote this. Others think that Ezra or maybe Daniel. The fact is, we don't know who, who the human author was who recorded these words, but we do know who inspired this psalm. And it was God, the Holy Spirit himself, who inspired the writer to refer to the word of God using so many different terms and words like law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, rules and word. And while each of these terms has a slightly different and nuanced meaning, they all refer to what God has entrusted to us. They all refer to the preciousness of what God has gifted to us, what He has revealed to us for our good and for His glory. And so this morning now... I'm going to finish reading Psalm 119 and, and I know what you're thinking. We still have a long way to go. And yes, we still have a long way to go. So you're going to have to work extra hard this morning. OK, it's, it's not Labor Day yet. So I don't feel bad asking this of you. That's that's coming soon. But you're going to have to work to engage, to stay attuned. But let me tell you where we're going before I finish the psalm this morning. We're going to ask and answer three simple questions. See, thankfully, just reading the text will eat up most of my preaching time. So I don't have much work to do this morning. But in the time that we do have left. We're going to ask and answer three simple questions, and these are the questions. What is God's word like? And then, question number two, what does God's word do? And then, question number three, how should we respond? To God's word. And then there will be one last bonus question that will bring our entire study to a glorious conclusion. And I'll go and give you that bonus question as well. Here's the bonus question. How does Luke 24 verses 44 factor into our study of Psalm 119? Now, I know what you're thinking. What does Luke 24 have anything to do with Psalm 119 in, in, in a word? Everything. Remember what the resurrected, glorified Christ said in Luke 24 to his disciples before he ascended back into heaven. He said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. The Psalms, are there things in Psalm 119 that needed to be fulfilled? in the life of christ oh wait till the end and you'll find out but if you're dying to know the answer it's yes it's yes and so it's so good so that's that's where we are going this morning Um, so let's finish the text and then we'll pray and then we will get to work all right so we're starting in verse 65 the psalmist writes you have dealt well with your servant O lord according to your word teach me Good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies. But with my whole heart, I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for, I, for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on the earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimony as I have seen a limit to all perfection." How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I know you thought Michael W. Smith wrote that, but he he didn't. For those of you that grew up in the 80s and 90s, you're singing it in your head. Verse 106. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offering of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word, depart from me, you evil doers, that I may keep the commandments of my God Uphold me according to your promise that I may live and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My my flesh trembles for fear of you and I'm afraid of your judgments. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act. For your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words, your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. With my whole heart, I cry Answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I I hope in your words, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation? is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, And I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies for all my ways are before you. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant." for I do not forget your commandments. Let's pray. Gracious Father, help us with our short attention spans. To be more like the psalmist, ready and eager and desirous to give our attention to who you are and to what you have said. Lord, the truths and the promises that we've even just seen here in this psalm. God, be faithful to your people. We know that you will fulfill your good promises to us. Father, give us now... Um, attention to detail. Uh, We pray that your spirit would move mightily among us. We know that this is not a magic book filled with magic words and incantations, and yet your word is powerful and it is rich and it is able to instruct us. So we pray that your spirit would have free reign among us. We pray that you would bring about conviction, that you would bring about joy and hope and strength and confidence in you, that we may be a people who live for you in this dark and dangerous time. And we pray all this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Amen. So the first of our questions. Question number one. What is God's word like? There's many ways that we could answer this question. Let me give you just a few. Note this on your outline. God's word is is true, but it is not only true. It is the standard by which everything else is to be tested. Throughout Psalm 119, the psalmist, and, 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 and you heard it. I mean, you, you heard it, you read it, the psalmist is pleading that God would allow him to more fully and more comprehensively understand his word. And why is, is the psalmist so desperate for this? Because it is true, it is truth, and the psalmist knows that he is in desperate need of that which is true. In Psalm, in verse 142, he says, your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true. In verse 151, he says, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Now, verse 160 is, I think, one of those massively important verses from this psalm. If you are of the ilk who likes to underline and highlight in your Bible, you ought to highlight and, under, and underline this verse, verse 160. It, it, te- it teaches us about the importance of understanding the full context of God's Word. It says, the sum of your Word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. The sum of your Word is truth. It does not say the sum of your feelings. Is truth. It does not say the sum of your dreams and desires is truth. It does not say the sum of our opinions and preferences is a foundation upon which we can know God and walk with Him. It does not say that the sum findings of all the church councils and all the writings and all the commentaries and all of the traditions that we are so quick to establish and to walk according to, no, these things may reflect truth. But what is the foundation of truth that we must appeal to and go to again and again and again? The sum of your word is truth. This is why, brothers and sisters, we must never come to the word of God. This is why it was the battle cry of the Reformation, Sola Scriptura, because we never come to the word of God. We never come to God and say, you bow before me. You accommodate Me and my preferences and my desires. No, brothers and sisters, the psalmist teaches us so well that all of our thoughts, all of our ideas, all of our actions, all of our feelings must ultimately be brought under the microscope of God's word to be examined and to be tested and to be validated. We are to submit ourselves to God and his word, never the other way around. So why sola scriptura? Simply because there's no other game in town. There is no other foundation of truth upon which you ought to build your life. Number two, the next thing that we see the psalmist repeatedly say about God's word is that God's word is not only true. It is not only truth, but it is good. It is good. And this should help to alleviate our worries, our concerns, our anxieties when it comes to submitting to the Word of God. We do not have to worry about whether we ought to submit to God or not. No, we can do so eagerly and joyfully. Why? Because God and His Word, it is good. It is good. The psalmist says it in the most unmistakable way in verse 68, another great verse to underline. The psalmist says, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. And listen, please note this, that the psalmist does not say this. The psalmist does not write this in the midst of an easy, comfortable, pain-free, happy-go-lucky kind of life. No. This verse, verse 68, comes right after verse 67, which says this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word, you are good and do good. Listen, as the psalmist is contemplating affliction... As the psalmist is contemplating even the painful and the the difficulties and the trials of life, the psalmist declares that God is good and that He does good. And lest you think that this is a mistake, lest you think that this was a a slip of the pen and the psalmist would maybe gladly go back and erase this if he could, not a chance. Just a few verses later in verse 71, the psalmist is going to say, it is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. Does God have good purposes in mind for us, brothers and sisters, in the midst of, of painful affliction? Yes, He does. That God wants us to see our need for Him so that we'll learn to stop chasing worthless idols. God desires for us to hope in His promises and to look expectantly to the fulfillment of His promises, not to our clever, problem-solving abilities. God wants us to find that His presence and His grace is truly sufficient. So yes, God's Word is true and it is truth and it can be gladly and joyfully obeyed and followed because it is also good. It is good. Next, number three, on your outline, God's Word is not only true and truth and good, but it is timeless and unchanging. It is timeless and unchanging. God's word is more relevant than tomorrow's newspaper. It is more important than all the scrolling headlines on your favorite news channel. God and his word never expire, never fade, never die, never give in, give up, give out, or need an update. God's word will not last any less than forever. Look again at verse 89. The psalmist says, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly Fixed in the heavens. So for how long is God's word firmly fixed in the heavens? Forever, forever. In verse 152, the psalmist writes, long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Now, listen, brothers and sisters, the fact is all we know, all we know throughout this life is change. That's it. Everywhere we look, every moment of every day, we see change. Our bodies change, our hairstyles change, our jobs change, our relationships change, our kids change, our leaders change, our neighbors change, our preferences change, your eating habits change, your thoughts and feelings change. All all we know is change. And so how good it is to see and to know that which does not change. God and His Word. Listen, the promises and the good intentions of our politicians, man, I tell you, they shift and they change every election season. Every new poll that comes out, they are shifting and changing. But listen, God's loving purposes for your life, to save you, to change you, to sanctify you, to make you like Jesus, to one day take you home to glory. Those promises never change. God's heart for you never changes. And what a joy and a comfort this ought to be to us. And listen, remember this. This is so important. We're we're, we're going to come back to this truth a few times. God's Word is a reflection of God's character. God's Word never changes. God's character never changes. And this is why the psalmist draws such a hard and fast and firm line between seeking God... And keeping his commandments. Listen, those things are not unrelated. Those things are not disconnected. The psalmist says in verse two, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Those are not unrelated. Seeking God and keeping his testimonies, they go together. Now listen, don't misunderstand what we're saying here. The Bible is not God. Okay? This is not God, we're not seeking to add a fourth member to the Trinity. But, but apart from God, sorry, apart from God's word, apart from the Bible, we cannot know him as we should. We cannot, we, we cannot walk with him as we should. If we, if we are serious about having a relationship with him, if we are serious about wanting to know him and delight in him, we cannot afford to ignore his word. So why sola scriptura? Why scripture alone? Because it is true. It is truth. It is good. It is timeless. It is unchanging, just like God himself. Amen. Question number two on your outline. What does God's word do? What, is it, what does it do? Well, according to Psalm 119, God's word is powerful and effective to accomplish many things. We're going to move through these next four points Quickly, uh, I would recommend that perhaps later in the day or later this week, you go back to revisit these, to meditate on these, because I think these four points can help to fuel a love and a passion for God and, and for his word. But I'm going to give these To you quickly, uh, at least relatively quickly, how I understand that word quickly. But generally speaking, what does God's word do? It blesses God's people. Okay, what does God's word do? It blesses the people of God. But how specifically? The first one is this. Number one on your outline. God's word can inspire us to awe and to worship of God. Verse 161 says, I, I, I love this. Princes persecute me without cause. Okay, that's bad. That's dangerous. That sounds threatening and intimidating. So what am I going to do in response to that? Here are these princes. We don't know the backdrop. We don't know the setting here. But here we're being persecuted without cause. What does the psalmist say? But my heart stands in awe of your words. Instead of being afraid of this intimidating authority, whoever it is, instead of giving in to the fear of man, the psalmist chooses the reverence of God, to be in awe of God and to stand before him and listen, as God the Holy Spirit works through his word, he leads us again and again to places of humility. Places of humility where we learn to see the greatness and the glory and the majesty of God. And, 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 and we learn to see people for who they really are. Just creations of God that are under his sovereign rule and reign as well. So as we come to see and know God for who he is and what he is, this again is for our good and for his glory. Number two, God's word can cause us to properly grieve. And mourn over sin. Our sin and the sins of others. Listen, studying God's word does not make us morally indifferent. Studying God's Word does not make us lazy, uncaring, unfeeling when it comes to things like sin, injustice, and wrongdoing. No, the more we know God, the more we know His Word, we will see sin and we will mourn over sin. Our sin and the sin that is taking place around us because we see it for what it is. It is harmful. It is destructive. It is, it is a God-rejecting kind of thing that separates us from intimacy and fellowship and joy with Him. Look again at verse 136. The psalmist says, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Listen, one who truly loves God, one who truly loves the Word of God is not smug and not self-righteous and not proud when it comes to their sin or to other people's sin. No, we mourn over sin and we long to see people turn and to walk in fellowship and and to walk in obedience with God. So we need to have our minds, we need to have our consciences in by God's word so that we will learn to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. Number three, God's word can guide us and direct us through the dangers and temptations of life. Uh, about a month or so ago, <clears throat> and this was so great, I got to go along with two of my daughters on their whitewater rafting trip. And it was their whitewater rafting trip because uh, McKaylee, being the ripe old age of 13, needed to have an adult go along, and I am that adult. And so I, I was able to go along on this trip. It was my first time ever doing Whitewater rafting—it was spectacular. Now we didn't go down in rafts; we went down in these very sturdy inflatable, blow-up kayaks that they called um, duckies. Which it sounds like a bad idea, but it's fantastic. Okay, it sounds like a really bad idea, but it—but it's marvelous. And and we had a fairly large group, and 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 so we were going down the river, and we had like two or three guides with us, and the guides would often take us off to the side before we got to the rapids. They were like, "Okay, here's how we're going to go down this rapid," and and. On some of the more dangerous rapids, they would actually have a guide that would be positioned standing on a rock so that I know it's OK. I'm good. And so <laughs> and so as we would navigate down the streams, th- there would be a guide on the rock, y- you know, yelling this way, you know, paddle harder. And, you know, and telling us how to get because because it was that serious. That's how hardcore we are. Like we're really. Um, but listen, that's. You know what? That's what the psalmist tells us that the word of God is like. That it is this guide standing in the midst of a crooked and perverse world calling us, go this way! Like, avoid this section. Paddle this way. Walk in wisdom. Don't walk in danger. And listen, even in spite of all the guide's help, I got dumped out three times. And... (laughs) So did Jeremy Slate, who was also, who was also on the trip because we're equally bad at this thing. But brothers and sisters, I mean, how crazy we would be to see that raft guide standing on the rock and saying, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm going right for the rock. No, you're crazy. You're, you're crazy. This is the one who knows. This is the one who wants to see you safely arrive at your destination. And, and, and so the psalmist tells us plainly in verse nine, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. Listen, God's word is that faithful guide to teach us again and again and to remind us again and again about the dangers around us, about the temptations that we face. Listen, when Jesus himself was tempted by the devil in the wilderness and the devil came to him in Matthew chapter 4, how did jesus respond how did jesus deal with each one of those temptations he continually quoted scripture he quoted the law of god he quoted the word of god and listen if jesus himself decided that that was best for him for how to deal with temptation have you found a better way do you know more than jesus when it comes to dealing with life and sin and temptation and yet so often we act like we do We act like we have greater insight. We have greater strength. And we ignore the example that Christ has clearly set for us and that the psalmist has set for us. So God's word can guide us through the dangers and temptations of life. Number four on your outline, God's word can give us hope and courage when we are hopeless and faint-hearted. And brothers and sisters, after a week like this, surely you feel that, don't you? I mean... Do I really need to read the list? I mean, just the things that weigh so heavy on my own heart and mind. I think about, um, our brothers and sisters here at Harbor Shores. I think about our brother Ray, uh, Bartanian. I think about Lacey Marsh's stepdad. I think about others of our family who are in the hospital right now who need grace and strength and encouragement. I think about our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Uh, I don't just think about our brothers and sisters in afghanistan i think about those unbelievers there who are doing horrific things who are lost in darkness who need the hope and the light of jesus christ And i pray that that will be seen in the brothers and sisters who are there i think about our insane politicians i think about just unexpected health crises and car accidents that seem to come out of nowhere for as long as we are in this world We need this. We need hope. We need encouragement. We need strength. And God tells us that He, one way that He will do that is through His Word. It is through His Word. When you are trapped and isolated and lonely in places of darkness, you need a light! You need a flashlight. You need something to guide you and to give you hope and direction. And God has said, come to me and I will do that for you. I will give. I have given this to you. In verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Verse 111, your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Verse 114, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Why do we hope in the word of God? Because it's the word of God that we see the promises of God and we long for them to be fulfilled. In verse 165, it says, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Light, joy, hope, peace. We're in continual need of these things. So don't allow yourself to grow weary of reading and hearing the Word of God. Don't allow yourself to believe the lie that you've graduated to bigger and better things. We are in constant need of God's Spirit working through God's Word. Paul wrote in Romans ten seventeen that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. We need to hear again and again and again. And so the psalmist writes in verse 50, this is my comfort in my affliction that your promises give me life. Listen, we don't give ourselves life. We don't manipulate the Bible or manipulate God into giving us anything. No, but what we see here is that God is at work. God is on the move. God's spirit is moving and working in his people and he is doing it through his word, giving faith, giving comfort, giving hope, giving peace and joy even in the midst of affliction. So why sola scriptura? Why scripture alone? Because we desperately need to reverence God. We need to worship God. We need to be in awe of him. We need to see sin for what it is. We need to mourn over it. We need to be guided and directed through the dangers and temptations of life and we need hope. We need courage. We need peace. And we need it now in the midst of this time that we find ourselves in and God has chosen to work through his word. So now our last question before our bonus question, question number three, how should we respond to God's word? How should we respond to God's word? A couple of quick things. Number one we can pray and ask God to help us delight in and treasure His Word. Because this is not something that we can do on our own. We cannot manufacture a love for God, but we can pray and ask God to help us grow in our love for Him and for His Word. I love verse 14. It says, In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. Just like someone might delight in all the wealth of the world the psalmist says that's how i that's how i see your word it is more precious to me than all the wealth of the world um next number two on your outline as an expression of our love for god we can't obey god's word you know and listen why would we not want to obey god's word like like we've already seen this morning god is good he desires what is best for us so why would we not want to walk in obedience to his word in verse 88 it says in your steadfast love give me life that i may keep the testimonies of your mouth one evidence of spiritual life is that we walk in obedience to christ verse 115 says depart from me you evil doers that i may keep the commandments of my god so we must choose we must choose we either walk in the way of wickedness, walk in the way of disobedience, or you will submit your heart and your life to God and to walk in His commands. Next, number three, for ongoing growth, worship, and joy, we can study, we can memorize, we can think deeply upon God's Word. I love verse 97. It says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. He doesn't say some of the day. No, it is appropriate to think on God's word throughout all of the day. There's never a time that God's word is not relevant. There's never a time that God's word is not applicable to our situation. Any time of the day is a good time to be thinking about God and his word. Verse 148 says, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Did you know that it is worth losing a little sleep over in order to study the Word of God? See, that's that's the problem with us. That's the problem with me. Sometimes we, we prioritize sleep over God's Word, and yet the psalmist didn't do that. He says, man, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night. It's worth staying up late. You know, if it's worth staying up to watch the news, it's much more worth staying up to read the word of God, which which never changes. Number four on your outline as comfort and strength for our soul, we can and should persevere in trusting God's word. And listen, by God's grace, we won't give up. By God's grace, we will continue on to believe and to trust and to hope in God's word. Look at verse 140. This is another great one to underline or to mark up. The psalmist says, your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. Listen, if you live long enough, the promises of God will be well tried in your life. Not kind of tried, not Semi-tried, but the psalmist says, well-tried. In times of sickness, in times of opposition, in times of temptation and doubt and discouragement and trials of all shapes and sizes and colors. The, the point is this, God's promises can be brought to bear on all of those things. And we can see that God is good, that he is faithful, that having come through the valley, he will be trustworthy to lead us home the rest of the way. Speaking of the one who is trustworthy and able to lead us home the rest of our way, I want to just close with the last two minutes that we have with our bonus question, and it's this. How does Luke twenty-four forty-four factor into our study of Psalm 119? Again, just to remind you what Jesus said. He says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So is there anything here that we've read this morning in Psalm 119 that points to Jesus? And remember who Christ is, who who is Christ? He is, according to John one, the word made flesh. So this morning we've talked a lot about the word of God and how good the word of God is and yet it all points to the Word made flesh, the one who came to be our Savior. And so I think there are lots of things in Psalm 119 that if we have eyes to see it, point us to Christ. Note this on your outline. Here's the reality of the situation. Only Jesus truly lived according to the wisdom of this Psalm. The rest of us, not so much. Which, which, which means that this Psalm ultimately highlights our need for Christ. This psalm teaches us about what Christ came to do and the wisdom and the beauty and the purity and the perfection of His life. Let me give you just a few examples as we close. Look at verses 1 to 3 again. I know we're going all the way back to the beginning, but trust me, it's worth the journey. In verses 1 to 3, this is how the psalm begins. Blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the fear, in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. Now, let me ask you an honest question. Who does that describe? Who is the only person that fits that description perfectly? It is not me. It is not you. It is Jesus Christ alone who 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 truly did no wrong, who loved God from their whole heart, who sought him, who was blameless. In. And so, according to these verses, what does Jesus deserve to be? What's the first word in verse one? What's the first word in verse two? Blessed, blessed. Jesus, truly and fully, in a most perfect and comprehensive way, deserves to be Blessed in every way. And yet, why is it then that Jesus became a curse? Why is it that instead of being blessed, Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you see how this psalm teaches us that the one, the perfect one who deserved to be blessed, who lived the life we could never live, instead chose the curse for us to take our place that we could then walk in freedom, could walk in joy, and could walk in forgiveness. Consider some other ways that this psalm points us to Christ. Look at verse 99. The psalmist writes, I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. Now, think about those words. And now think about what we read in Luke chapter 2 when we see young Jesus in the temple with the scribes and the teachers. And the text says in Luke two forty-seven, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. How did he have such wisdom? How did he have such understanding? Because he was the fulfillment of what we read here, of one who perfectly loved God and loved His Word. And remember Christ. As he is heading into Jerusalem, soon to be arrested, soon to be crucified. And he is weeping over the city. He is lamenting their sin and their rejection of him as Messiah and God as their good father. And he is weeping and lamenting. And now look at verse 136. The psalmist writes, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Listen, this is not a psalm that tells us to just suck it up and do the best we can. No, this is a psalm that reveals our sinfulness, that pleads with us to look away from ourselves to God's Messiah that he would provide for us. Lastly, and I promise this is the last verse, verse 149. The psalmist says, hear my voice according to your steadfast love. Oh, Lord, according to your justice, give me life. That's not a prayer I'm willing to pray separated from Christ. Are you? Oh, God, according to your justice, give me life. Is that what I deserve? According to God's justice, No, not in the slightest bit. There is only one who could truly and rightly pray that prayer. And it was the Lord Jesus Christ. According to your justice, give me life. And you know what? God granted that request. And Christ rose victoriously on the third day, showing that he had conquered sin and death. Listen, this is the only way, friend, there is no other way for you to be made right with God, for you to have his righteousness and his forgiveness other than through the Lord Jesus Christ. And let Psalm 119 be your tutor, your guide to bring you to Christ. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you are not confident that you're forgiven of your sins, it would be our joy to talk with you, to pray with you, to meet with you. If you don't feel comfortable coming down front, that's fine. Find us after the service. Email us. Call us sometime throughout the week. We do work sometimes. I do work days other than Sundays. Um, it's true. Um, Matt, can, Matt don't attest to that. No, in fact, we don't have time. Um, but let me just wrap this up. So w- one last time. Why sola scriptura? Why sola scriptura? Listen, because it is the word of God that perfectly reveals the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. And we see this here in Psalm 119. Psalm 119 reveals yet again our need for him, our need for the spirit to work in our life, our need for the grace of God to be present in us and through us. And so, brothers and sisters, let us strive to praise God for his word. Let us strive to walk according to the truth that we may begin to emulate more and more our Savior, Jesus Christ. How good he is. Praise God for his eternal word. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you are so good to us. Thank you that in our sinfulness, you didn't leave us. You didn't leave us in darkness and in isolation, but you chose to speak and to reveal yourself. Father, help us to now walk in obedience. Help us to respond in joyful faith. Help us to trust your promises. Uh, Lord, we pray that we as a church family would be faithful to you, that we would be faithful to your word. Um, And Lord, in those areas where we're not and we know that we will fail, we pray that you would convict us of that, that you would bring us to repentance and that we would truly walk and follow after Christ our Savior. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' good and precious name. Amen.